So as Josh mentioned uh, at the start of our service, we're continuing to take a look into the book of Acts. I want to start this morning with a picture that I showed you last week um, about the temple, showing or displaying the temple. Are we having screen issues? Rachel's nodding her head, yes. Okay, so thank you, Josh. Um, Josh is going to actually act out what a temple looks like up here for us. Um, he's going to get his costume right now. So, Last week I showed um, a picture of the temple at the time uh, of Acts. And this temple, if you recall, this uh, structure had a wall, it had a, a courtyard, and then there was a, a, a building that um, was the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, where only the priest could go. And if you remember this setting of this story from the book uh, of Acts chapter 3, is this lame man, this beggar, the man who had been crippled from birth, likely 40-some years it suggested he was, is that he sat on the outside of what was known as the temple gate, one of the temple gates. And that temple gate, he had sat out there for a specific reason, and it was to beg for alms, for any sort of giving. But his placement was key because people would enter into worship. But it was also key because he could not go into, through the gate, into the courtyard. Nevertheless, go any farther to the sanctuary in the Holy of Holies. Others could go in there into the various areas. But he sat to the far right at that notation there, kind of on the portico. He sat there because as someone in that culture who was crippled and lame, he was not deemed worthy to go into the temple. And so we had that setting, and what we see in this particular story is we see a mighty act of God, where Peter and John come upon this man once again. He was very familiar to people, and Peter and John prayed, spoke in the name of Jesus, and the man was healed. And he not only was healed physically, he was healed spiritually. He was restored to wholeness. And he no longer had to remain outside the gate. In fact, as he was celebrating and praising God and leaping and jumping for joy, he went into, for the very first time after 40 years, went into the temple. It was a magnificent scene. And in the midst of that, people are wondering, they're asking, what in the world is going on? People were awed with curiosity. Some were awed because they saw God worst. And so they began to join in the praise, even amidst the questions. And then right out there, at that gate, people gathered. And they gathered and they began to ask questions. And so Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, we read about in chapter 3, makes the most of the moment. He explains to all of them what has happened and why has it happened and who it happened through. So chapter 4, it's a division we know these chapter numbers are written in uh, much later. For Luke, in, in recording the book of Acts, there was no, uh, there was no new chapter perhaps 
But in some ways, it's a good way to think about the next part of the story. The next part of the story, as people gathered, Peter spoke, something else began to happen. So if you would, uh, you can take a look on the screen. You can open your Bibles to chapter 4 of Acts, beginning in verse 1. We're going to see essentially chapter 2 of the story of the lame beggar who had been healed. Verse 1, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, these were all the religious leaders of the temple of that day, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Everyone is still in awe over what happened, some slightly confused. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. Take note here. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Peter goes on in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. The Sanhedrin said to one another, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Not only did Peter and John have an opportunity with the lame beggar, that opportunity expanded into an opportunity for the crowd that had gathered And then that opportunity opened up even further as people gathered more and more. And the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders is a good way to think about it of that day, much more interested in their own agendas and not God's. They then 
had a seat to speak with them. In the midst of that, the Holy Spirit again and again and again gave Peter boldness. Early on in my walk, I remember there were times, and I can't think specifically about the settings, but I remember that there were times when I was around people and they would say the name of Jesus. Now, I remembered people saying the name of Jesus Christ before I was a believer, but I can just tell you it was not in reverence, it was not in awe, it was in cursing. And so when I began to hear people as a new believer, new believer is I noticed something. I noticed that when they said it, there was often a pause. There was often a, 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 um, a mystery around the name, a reverence. In fact, some would get teared up, I remember. Some would be taken back, and as they said it, they would say it slow and deliberately. And I have to tell you, I didn't get it. I didn't get it because... Yeah, I'd heard plenty of people say the name of Jesus Christ. But I had never heard it said that way. Now, I wasn't about to go around just repeating it to jump into some Christian form of, of whatever just to look good. But there was something about early on in my walk, the name of Jesus. I will stand here today and I tell you that the name of Jesus has become sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Some because of what some of you have taught me about the name of Jesus. Some because of teaching I've been under. Some because the power of God's word in my life as I've learned and sought to grow in Jesus. But I absolutely believe that the majority of my Understanding of the name of Jesus has come in my communion personally with him. You see, I've begun to understand over the years, in the biblical sense to use a name, it's far more than just a label. It's far more something that is just randomly picked or even chosen by another human. But in Biblical terms, it represents a person as an an extension of that person's being, an extension of their personality. I began to see the name of Jesus in a whole new way. So you can imagine, look back to verse 6 of chapter 3. Verse 6 of chapter 3. It is that very pivotal verse when the healing uh, is about to take place. I still believe Peter and John had no clue what God was going to do, but they didn't hesitate to ask God to restore this man in however he chose. And so Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter didn't throw the name of Jesus in just for some dramatic effect, like some might want to do. Peter did not throw the name of Jesus in in order to scare or alarm people around him. Peter spoke the name of Jesus because he knew the sweetness of it. He had walked with this man who was God. It was such a bold step. More than I think most of us 
ever have really encountered in this culture. Yeah, there are people who don't like the name of Jesus. We understand that. But there was much at stake for here for Peter, his life. What if Jesus would have not come through in this mansion was more lame than he's ever been? What about the reputation of Jesus? We often doubt. We often wonder if Jesus is going to hold up. Peter's act of faith demonstrated once again that the name of Jesus is very sweet. I was thinking through some songs that we sing. Jesus, name above all names. There's a, there's a song that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote years ago. There is something about that name. There's the classic hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Why do we sing those? Is it just one of those things that just sounds good? It sounds spiritual? No. I believe it absolutely goes not only to this text, but other texts where we see much in the name of Jesus. I want to talk just a moment about why the name of Jesus is one we should call upon. It may sound rather silly. It may sound rather elementary. But the reality is, do we know the sweetness of the name of Jesus? Peter, in this section on chapter 4, leading off of this proclamation, this declaration, this calling of the name of Jesus for the healing, He does so for life. He knew this man did not have, he was not able to bring anything that was worth anything to this man. People had been giving this man money for years. Did it restore him? Did it bring healing to him? Ultimately, spiritual healing? No. Did it help him? Yeah, it helped him. But when we seek to do things and only seek to help people just on a surface level, We don't need the name of Jesus because we can do it, right? This church is known in this community, even in this region. We are known for rallying the troops and going and doing things. But there's no power in that if there's not the name of Jesus that we act and speak upon. The reason that God has chosen to use us in various settings, in various circumstances It's because I believe in so many ways we as a church have sought to be faithful in the name of Jesus. Because we can't give life without Jesus. The only reason that we have been given the opportunity is because of Jesus changing your lives and mine. Peter knew it. Peter was one who had been changed and given life. It's interesting, the Greek here for ordinary, unschooled men, um, we get the word idiot from it. Does that tell you anything? Well, these guys just really don't know that much. No, okay, these guys are idiots. But something's happening here. It wasn't them. It wasn't that they got an extra hour of sleep the night before. It wasn't that they had their Wheaties in the morning. They were dependent on God, and they knew it. 
And the only reason I believe that Peter spoke the name of Jesus is because he was dependent for not only his own life, but for the restoration of the life of the man laying before him. And let me just tell you what happens when we call upon the name of Jesus for life. First, four, seven of Acts. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Guess what? They got arrested. Victory? Well, I don't know. But they got arrested. That seems like a failure. But it's not. It's not because they knew God was going to lead them no matter what. And it raised questions. When you choose in the name of Jesus to live your life and acknowledge the life the source of life that Jesus is, you will get questions. And sometimes those questions are great questions. But don't be discouraged by the questions because sometimes it is God working. So when you get the question, hey, you trust this Jesus character? Why is so-and-so going through this? You're going to get it. You already do if people know you're a Christian. And yet, Peter didn't back down. Because the boldness that the Holy Spirit had given him gives us arrest attention. Boldness of God in our lives arrests an attention with people and it compels people to listen. But sometimes they listen and they say, no, we're not buying it. Sometimes they listen and all it does is it incites opposition. Welcome to chapter 4 of Acts. This is the first time that really Jews had shown any opposition to these guys. Have you ever been in a place like that? It's opposition for following Jesus, living in the name of Jesus. And you, you come across opposition and you get so discouraged because you're, you're thinking, well, I've never had this kind of opposition before. It must really be severe. No. Jesus is bigger than any opposition. Amen? Bigger than any. It's maybe a new attempt by the enemy to defeat us. But look what Peter does. Verse 10. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't say, okay, well, maybe I didn't really mean all of this. No, he steps in and he says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. So if there was a doubt by whose power this was done, there's no more doubt. Unless they've got earplugs in. There's no more doubt. What I find fascinating about this is that once Peter says this, and even before, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, never question that something miraculous happened that day. All they said was, quit it. Quit. Stop it. You are stirring things up. Stop doing that. Now some of you who have the gift of creating conversation by the way you live your lives. You like a little opposition. Makes you feel effective. Makes you feel like you're making a little difference. That's not the goal. The goal is that people know why you do what you do. And it's the name of Jesus. We've all seen this abuse. We've seen religious abuse, spiritual abuse, where people want to stir others up and it's, it's considered effectiveness. 
It wasn't the goal. shouldn't be our goal. The goal was that they would see the author of life and not give Peter credit for what happened. They would give Jesus credit. Church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be defined by the life that Jesus has given us, not anything we've made on our own. Dick talked about it earlier. It is he the one, he is the one that gets the power, excuse me, the glory and the honor. But look at this verse again, verse 10. Look at the the, the back part of it. By the powerful name of Jesus. And then Peter gets a little specific. He kind of says this. Now remember, this is that guy that you killed and you thought you had done away with. You took his life away and that you were done with him. Guess what? Um, He died. You all know that. But he's back. And he's not just back to create a ruckus. He's back because he not only declared and prophesied, predicted, but he actually accomplished victory over death. That's Peter's way of saying, guys, it didn't work. (laughs) You can't keep Jesus down. You can't keep him in the grave, which means when we trust our life with him, you can't keep our life in the grave. We're not God, but we have the power and authority of God, which is why Peter called upon the name of Jesus. And, and frankly, this is the one that most Christians just get jacked about. Yes, who doesn't like power and authority? It doesn't matter if you're not a type A. You still like a little power and authority now and then, right? You want control over your life. You want want to be able to understand. You want to be able to defend. You want people to look at you and not say, oh my gosh, what's going on? But Peter called upon the powerful name of Jesus because it was the power and authority of Jesus that he needed, not just for that man, but for his life as a whole. You see, Peter didn't morph You ever seen people, Christians, kind of morph into something when they got a public setting and and it's like, okay, showtime. No, this is who Peter was. You become a person who lives in the name of Jesus and speaks in the name of Jesus when you nurture that in your private life. We should never be publicly speaking the name of Jesus if we are not privately communing with God in the name of Jesus. Otherwise, it's a sham. Otherwise, people who say we're hypocrites are right. What's beautiful about this section is if you look back to Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, what you see is Jesus speaking to the apostles. And I wonder if this was running through, Jesus, or through Peter's mind. Because he's in the middle of this and he's thinking, I could lose my life at any moment. Any moment. And yet there's something going on in me and through me. Something just happened. And I imagine he's thinking back to this when Jesus says, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. Have you been there? Have you walked out of a situation and think, I have no idea how I just did that? We need more of those in our lives, don't we? There's too many of those that we say, wow, I did pretty good. The name of Jesus gives you authority and power as a believer, not you. There's something about boldness that is more than just an experience. 
It is a verification and affirmation of the truth of God that we see in Scripture. Which is why we should always run our experiences through the truth of God. We always test through the truth of God. But what I absolutely believe that we see in this text is that Peter's surrender didn't start the moment he said in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walked, walk. It started much before that as Peter surrendered and communed with his Lord. Not only while he lived on this earth, but even through the Holy Spirit after. And Peter essentially says, you know what, Sanhedrin, you're going to have to make a choice of who your power and authority is. Look at Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 14. They will wage war against the Lamb. We know who the Lamb is. That's the great sacrificial Lamb, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with Him will be His called chosen and faithful followers. Translation, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot claim victory. That may sound like a threat. It's not meant to be. But what Peter is saying to the religious leaders is that you have to figure this out. Israel, you have to figure this out. Preble Countians, we have to figure this out. Because one day we will answer. Choose life. Choose to surrender the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because it is in His name that you will find power and authority in situations that you never thought. Peter and John didn't walk to the temple that day and say, hey, let's go heal somebody. No. The Holy Spirit brought an awareness to them of a man they had been by hundreds of times, perhaps. And yet God made the most, made the most of it. What moments, what places, what people in your life does God want to do that with? Then comes this incredible statement in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. As if Peter was not clear enough. You know, guys, we live in a culture where a lot of people will say, Jesus, okay, if you trust Jesus, I'm okay with that. But he's not for me. Peter says, he's for everybody. No one's outside of his grasp. In a complacent culture that we live in, often we are content to say, well, you know, they said it wasn't for them, so okay. Sometimes I think we may believe that it's not for other people. The conviction of speaking in Jesus' name is that we know that Jesus is the living hope and the only hope and the only way of salvation. That's a conviction I pray for in every one of your hearts. I do it all the time. I don't want you to be okay that people think there's another way. It's not that we bully. It's not that we force. We can't do that, church. You know that. But these people walked away from this man and there was no doubt that Jesus was the way. Let that be in our lives. There's no other way in our lives 
model that. Now be careful. <laughs> Don't get caught up in, well, I'm just not, I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not. But the, Jesus gave you life. Jesus gave you power and authority. And Jesus has given you hope and salvation. And Jesus is the one that gets the credit. Jesus is the one who has made your incompleteness, your brokenness whole. And then you can stand. And what I love about this statement is that Peter is not only clarifying, he's celebrating. He is celebrating here. There is no other name but the name of Jesus for salvation. Why? Because he's lived it. He's experienced it. Remember, this guy couldn't even stand up in front of people without bumbling. And he was an idiot. He was constantly speaking where he couldn't speak. But look what's happened now. He is before men who always had an answer. And they were there in stone silence. They didn't know what to say. Okay, we've got exhibit A over here and a healed man. Uh, What do we do with that? You can't. What Peter says is, you all keep thinking Jesus is divisive. That's what the culture tells us today, right? Jesus is divisive. And what Peter says is, no, because he is the way and hope and the truth and the life is that he brings goodness, not destruction, and he brings wholeness. It's the lie that the culture believes. It's a lie because the name of Jesus, back to the passage in Luke that Pastor Josh read, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. He saves. The last section we didn't read, but I want to pull out one verse. The believers, Peter and John are done with the Sanhedrin. They kind of say, well, we're going to obey God. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. We're not you know, trying to tick you off, but we're going to continue to follow God. And so they walk out, and they weren't doing anything unlawful. And what do they do? They gather all the believers. Now remember, the crowd is blowed up. 5,000 men. was 3,000, and we're talking men, then people and children typically on top of that. Okay, this is a full eaten. All right, lots of people when the town is full. And what do they do? They praise God. But what they didn't do is they didn't come back and talk about how good they did. They came back and they got on their knees and they prayed. And this is what the type of person, the type of church that I want us to be. Look at verse 30. They prayed, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They cried out for his presence more. More. Not so we can live exciting lives. Our lives are exciting enough, right? For sometimes wrong reasons. But with all that just happened and the potential that Peter and John especially could have lost their lives, what do they say? Jesus, we want more of your presence. And that's why Peter spoke in his name. Right here together, early Christians, they say, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Some look at this and they read that the Holy Spirit filled them and say, oh, it's a second Pentecost. No, it wasn't. 
oh, maybe they didn't really have the Holy Spirit the first time. No, they did for those who had been believers at Pentecost. But for many there, it was a fresh filling. It was a renewed awareness of what God wanted to do through them to carry out their mission. But it was because of the name of Jesus. Emmanuel, we talk about that at Christmas a lot, don't we? God with us. I'm going to invite Olivia and Betty and Sarah up. And as we close today, I want us to think about the name of Jesus. And this is not about evoking any kind of insincere or um, dramatic emotion or response. But some of you, that's what it may do. But I'd like for us in these moments to think about a specific situation in our lives where in the name of Jesus there could be life. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone you know. Maybe it's a relationship that you have. I'd also like us to think about is there a situation in your life where the power and authority of Jesus' name is exactly what that situation needs. It's a situation that you've counted out and others have too. And I invite you to pray and invite you to speak to God in the name of Jesus to bring life, to bring power, authority, to bring hope, salvation, because some undoubtedly, it's true almost every Sunday, some are here and they've not received the hope and salvation that the name of Jesus brings. And then finally, I just ask of you, for the sake of the kingdom of God, is that you would just pray for more of his presence. Together, here, and maybe even more so when we're apart. Scattered, but yet united in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to be seated for starters. And during this time, we're going to sing um, Jesus' name above all names. Words are going to be on the screen. The intention of this is just to keep it simple, to not get led elsewhere. And I'm going to invite you, whether it be at the altar or at your seat, that you think about what I just ask us to do To invite life in the name of Jesus. To invite power and authority in the name of Jesus. Hope and salvation in the name of Jesus and his presence. So if you want to do that up here, we'll, there's, there's plenty of space to do that. If you want to do that in your seats, then that's fine. And we're going to sing it through a few times and then we'll close.